Okay, and welcome back to Wrestling Wednesdays. The guest this week is the former head writer of WWE, former head writer of WCW and TNA, and the former WCW heavyweight champion of the world. Yes. The guy that won the real version of that, which is sitting behind me right now, the bro himself, Vince Russo. Welcome, Vince. How are you doing? What is up, Martin? I am. Uh, I'm glad to be here with you this morning, my friend. It's a real, real pleasure. I'm just going to amend the uh, the view for everyone because it's uh, there. We go. Now we got it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so how was uh, obviously it's early morning for yourself and afternoon for me. What's a what's a morning routine with Vince? Is it a is it a rather than a brew? Is it a bro? What's your morning? yeah? It's a bro and a brew. I always ha- I, well, it's not a brew. It's I I gotta have my coffee to uh, get me started. I I love uh, I love coffee. I think it's the nectar of the gods. But a typical day for me, man, is I, I try to start my day early. I try to get uh, all my work done early in the day so I can have a little free time uh, in the middle of the day. So that's why you and I are starting this morning uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. It's 8 a.m. by me, and I'm ready to go, man. That's great. That's brilliant. Um, and so could you talk a little bit about, um, talk us through a bit more what you're doing with, with Russo Brand? Obviously, it's been growing over the last seven years so many people involved with with uh, with your uh, with your organization there in terms of wrestlers that I'm a fan of as well um, but I noticed obviously you're developing it uh, building a new site I believe uh, so could you give us a bit more insight into how that's yeah I've been doing Russo's brand.com uh, for about seven years now and uh, so many great talents are under my umbrella uh, so many uh, you know people who had great great careers in the wrestling business i always forget people but i'll try to name some of them um you know i've got the beautiful people angelina love velvet sky i got stevie ray of harlem heat i've got stevie richards the disco inferno uh shane douglas um god i always forget uh dutch mantel kevin sullivan uh tom pritchard uh, Vito Legras, I have so many names under my umbrella, ODB, Taylor Hendricks, the list goes on and on. Uh, and they all have their own shows, which is great for me. And I'm just now branching out beyond wrestling. Uh, like you said, man, we are in the middle right now of building up a brand new site um, that should be up, I'm, I'm hoping, early next week. So uh, Russo'sBrand.com is primarily wrestling, but now I'm going to go branch beyond that with non-wrestling shows. Okay, sounds really exciting. I'll delve yeah. into, obviously, other passions, because I know, uh, that, you know, obviously, you see the memorabilia behind you all the time, sport and film, so... Yeah, I'm not, I, you know, Martin, I hate to say this, but I have not been a wrestling fan for a really long time. I, I mean, I really haven't. Um, it, you know, the industry is not uh, what I grew up on, what I was a fan of, what got me hooked, what I wrote. Um, it's just a completely different industry today. And, you know, bro, some people love it and that's great. I'm, I'm really just not a fan of it anymore. So, like, I only watch Raw, bro, because quite honestly, I get paid to watch Raw. That's the only reason I watch it. I don't watch any other show. So, yeah, man, I have so many interests that I want to move beyond. So that's why I'm excited about the new network. Cool. Can't wait to hear more about it. So obviously see it all develop and uh, I shall certainly be following it. Um, I, I previously watched a few of your interviews online and heard you talk a bit about the days of you growing up and seeing wrestling in Madison Square Gardens, which is something I've still not ticked off the bucket list. Uh, I'd love to just sort of, you know, hear a little bit about what that experience was like as a kid growing up and being there. Yeah, well, bro, a couple of things. Um, 
you know, I mean, obviously it was a big deal um, when when cable television first came out. When I mean, I'm bro, I'm talking about the inception of cable. Like, man, bro, I'm talking about probably 73, 74 ish, you know, every once a month on a Monday night, Madison Square Garden would have their big card on cable. And, you know, Bruno San Martino would always defend the title every Monday night, uh, you know, once a month on a Monday. And that was such a big deal, man. The WWF from the Garden was such a big deal. Bro, I swear to God, I got to tell you, this is this is how wrestling used to be. Um, the last time, bro, I was in the Garden for a wrestling event. Um, well, it wasn't the last time this was, uh, this was when I was a fan. Cause I worked, obviously I worked WrestleMania 10 and stuff like that, but bro, when I was still a fan, I'll never forget. I went to Madison square garden the first time, the very first time Savage wrestled Hogan and bro, I am telling you the rafters were shaking for a wrestling event. It was nuts. It was ridiculous. I will never forget that experience at MSG. It was a great experience. And then, of course, bro, one of my uh, my very first WrestleMania working with the company was uh, WrestleMania 10, you know, so I got to work that at Madison Square Garden. But, yeah, you know what, bro? I don't – I wouldn't compare – wrestling at the garden today to what it was like back then but it's still it's it, it's still a tradition it's it, it's still a big deal so i could definitely understand that being on your bucket list bro yeah yeah i think it's that that historical moment of knowing that you're in that same venue of uh all this went down and yes. just yep. you know you're there so it's still a still a nice moment um yep. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of a lot of new york filmmakers and Obviously, whenever I've studied anything, we've always looked back on on, on filmmakers from that area. Have, have, you, have you got any sort of sort of influences on you apart from obviously you're the fan of wrestling and the entertainment side of it? What else had a sort of influence on you to push you into journalism? Ah, bro, I I just I grew up on entertainment, man. I grew up on TV and I grew up on movies. I, you know, early on, I I took a um. I took a lighting, a liking for writing, bro. I got, I can remember like in the sixth grade, you know, I mean, I started writing some stuff and, and, you know, when a teacher put it over very early on that, that meant a lot to me, like as a 12 year old kid, you know, and, uh, you know, it was just always my passion, bro. And that's why I, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, my career, I married all that stuff. That's why, bro, it's hard for people to separate. Like, I think I get a lot of heat, bro, because I wasn't one of these wrestling marks. Like, I enjoyed wrestling like I enjoyed movies and like I enjoyed television and like I enjoyed sports. It was many, one of many things that I enjoyed, so, bro, it's when I started working in the industry, to be honest with you, it was a job to me. This wasn't the dream job. I didn't dream. Of, no, bro, this this was a job for me. I started with the magazine. Then, you know, I transitioned in, you know, from writing the magazine to writing the television show. So, like, it was always just a job for me. And I don't think people can, like, understand that you know, I wasn't obsessed by this. This wasn't a boyhood dream of mine. This was kind of just ha how my career went along. So, you know, when I was writing there during the Attitude Era, bro, it was a great gig. 
it was a lot of fun, but bro, at the end of the day, to me, it was just a job, just like this is my job now. That's cool. It's fair enough. So it's it's great when people are honest about things, though, and you still obviously were a, were a fan in in general. But it, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's you know it's work and it's got to got to pay the bills somehow. And you might as well be passionate about what you're doing. So it's great. And yep. um, the one one thing I will uh, I always remember is in the mid, I started buying wrestling magazines in the mid '90s as a as a kid going into a teenager, and I always remember even like it was Pro Wrestling Illustrated that I was getting WWF magazine, and then obviously when Raw magazine started coming out they're always quite well behind in terms of like what I was watching on TV. And this was before yeah. using the internet load and all the rest of it. So I remember quite a big change in distinction in terms of when you were there of, of how it suddenly became a bit more like relevant with the storylines. It was a bit closer and it was like as close as you could be because you couldn't spoil yeah. things. But, and that was just something I noticed as a, as a kid growing up and it made it like a must buy every month. Um, yeah. I assume that was a lot of your influence and I oh yeah 100% I, I mean bro when I got there writing for the magazine bro they were making up the stories like they were never talking to talent they were not involving talent they were just making stuff up and I'm like like what why like you have the talent at your fingertips involve them get them involved and that's why, you know, yeah, bro, the, the idea was to really create a more adult theme shoot type of magazine. And uh, yeah, I mean, Raw, you know, Raw the magazine, bro, was, you know, kind of before the Attitude Era, but I think it was kind of a preview of what you were going to eventually see on TV. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it, it definitely um, influenced me loads because I was a big, Shawn Michaels fan that's what and Bret Hart fan and that's kind of that 95 96 and then the magazine's improving and it was like instead of comic yeah. books it was like I've got to read this every month and it's great and bro it's like I swear to god I got a great story about that because if you remember one of the covers of the raw magazine was Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels uh like could they exist in the same universe or something like this right so, bro, I always used to get the talent, whoever was on the cover, I got them to sign the magazine cover for me, you know, and, and, I, and I always did that. So I'll never forget that cover was can Sean and Brett exist in the same universe? And I'll never forget it. When Brett signed that magazine for me, he signed. I guess we couldn't, you know, which, which, which popped me. And I still I still always, always pop for. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. That, that's yeah. the thing I love about when you get those personal relationships. That's brilliant. That's that's individual. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. Um, that's that's done me. Um, I wanted to sort of delve in a little bit to start with. Obviously, with with obviously the work you do now, you're very interactive. Um, how how is sort of uh, the documentary I made a few, couple of years ago was about this in a bit more detail. But how, how has fan interaction changed for you since obviously you've left wrestling? Uh, you now do your, you know, your podcast for the rest of it. How, you know, obviously you get questions asked all the time about wrestling stuff, but how has that fun interaction changed for you over the years? Well, bro, what I do now, it's very, very, very important to interact with the fans. And, you know, bro, it's like you, you've got a section of fans that get it. And then you just got this section of fans, bro, that they're going to believe what they want to believe. I am, bro, I am probably one of the most honest guys you will ever meet. Um, I don't, I, I'm, you know, bro, I'm Italian and that's kind of how Italians are. We're out there. We're honest. We wear our emotions on our sleeve. I don't lie about things. I don't cover things up. 
and you know, I mean, I make myself very accessible. You could ask me anything you want to ask me, but the frustrating part comes when, you know, you, you tell the truth and you, you say the same story for years and years and years and years, but bro, you're going to have that section of the audience that just wants to believe what they want to believe. And, and th those person, those people, bro, I'll be honest with you. They, they really, they kind of get to me because it's like, you're, you're asking me something and I'm telling you the truth but why are you going to waste my time if you want to believe what you want to believe anyway? It's sometimes it gets very, very frustrating. But like I said, bro, there's an entire audience out there that gets it and understands what I did, what I did and my body of work. And, you know, I mean, they're always great to talk to. That's cool. It's fair enough. Yeah, totally understand that. Um, I was quite curious. I know, I think I heard you say in an interview that you didn't really travel much outside of America when you were, when you were with WWE, but I've always been fascinated by how important uh, the the UK events might have been, not the, the tour ones, but when you start, when WWE started doing the pay-per-views in the UK. Um, so like one night only, Capital Carnage, that kind of thing. Uh, were, they, were they ever planned as part of the, the full-time writing or were they just sort of more put together nearer the time? Yeah, they weren't really planned, bro, as part of the full-time writing because, bro, the only place I ever traveled outside of the U.S. when I was working for them was Canada. I, I, did, I went to the U.S. and Canada. That's it. Um, but, bro, U.K. was very, very, very important because every time business was down in the States, they would go right to the U.K., and I mean, and, and they would draw phenomenal houses uh, and do really, really large gates. So that was that that was always what they did when business was down in the States, bro. Let's tour the UK. And, uh, you know, bro, the people in the UK and the fans of the UK never let them down, man. No, no, we, we, we love it. I think it's that I think it's that uh, quick fix of we don't get it all year round. So therefore, we, we just yeah. want to see it no matter what. And it's a great show. Um, yep. But I, I was quite curious about yeah talking to you about maybe the British Bulldog because one of the events in the UK that I went to uh, was quite young in '97 was one night only when Sean beat Bulldog for the European title. I didn't know if you've got any any sort of insight on what it was like working with the Dave Boy Smith. Oh God, yeah, bro. What great, great dude, bro. I swear the um the one thing I'll always remember about Davey Boy was bro. He always had a great sense of humor. I you know I bro like. You know, bro, I always look at it like when when you're that big of a star, it's almost like you deserve the right to have a chip on your shoulder, but never, never, ever, ever with him, never had a chip on his shoulder, bro. Um, you know, always, uh, you know, very funny, bro. Very, very funny. H hung around a lot with Owen. So they were always very mischievous and always up to no good, but... Brother, one thing I always used to remember about him that used to drive me nuts was, you know, bro, when you're shooting like live TV and whatnot, you've got to set up these shots right away. If there's a live interview in the back, I mean, you know, it's go, 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 go. Bro, Davey could have like four or five pre-tapes or interviews in the back or little, little vignettes or whatever. And bro, every time before he shot one, he had to oil up. 
and it used to drive me nuts because I'm like, bro, you only have to oil up one time. The oil is still there. But I swear to God, bro, I would shoot with him. He'd be all oiled up, bro. Five minutes later. Okay, Davey, we got to go over here now. Five minutes later, he'd be oiling up again. Every single time he was on camera, he had to oil up and it used to drive me freaking nuts. But uh, what a great guy, bro. I got a great story that I love. Um, WrestleMania 10, bro. I was at, um, you know, I was working there at the uh, Fan Fest, you know, prior to WrestleMania 10. And bro, I, part of my job was, I had to babysit Harry and, and Georgia. I, I babysat them at WrestleMania 10. I'll never forget it, bro. And now I look at, you know, Harry and he's this big, huge star. But yeah, bro, I literally babysat him as a kid at WrestleMania 10. That's incredible. That's brilliant. Yeah. I love that sort of yeah. stuff. That's great, great family though, bro. Diana was, oh my God, what a what a what a saint of a woman. I still, I interviewed her just a couple of years ago. Like we still talk great, great, great family, bro. Yeah. Well, we obviously uh, over here, we're, we're biased anyway, but yeah, amazing. Uh, just, just incredible. And the storylines in the nineties were involving, you know, the Bulldogs yeah. were brilliant. And it just, it kind of, you know, as much as obviously Hogan and the rest and the worldwide audience and everything, Bulldog put WF on the map over here. Massively. Oh, no doubt, bro. Especially that Wimbledon match with Brett. Like, come on, man. Like it, it doesn't get better than that. No, no, yeah. I, well, I'm still, I'm still a bit hopeful that next year, with it being an anniversary, they might do something over here. But yeah, we, we live in hope. We live in hope. Well, I do anyway. I know you're not watching it, but I, I, I live in hope. <laughs> yeah, um, that's great. Thank you. Um, I, I was quite curious in terms of uh, your TNA days. I can't. I don't know. Because I, I don't know if you did, but did you have any crossovers? in TNA with working with Doug Williams and Nick Aldis or were oh, they bro absolutely bro I I've said this all the time bro Doug Williams was like one of my favorite people to work with and he knows he he's heard me say that a million times bro Doug Williams was like the the ultimate professional I I bro I love this bro I, I I'm I'm being perfectly honest with you like if if somebody said Vince if you could ever start a promotion like with anybody from the past and the present bro he would be in my top five because he was so dependable and such a pro I loved working with that guy and bro Nick 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 at the beginning, it, it was there was a little of this because, bro, Nick is a very cocky guy, very cocky guy, and he carries himself that way. But, bro, once you get to know him and you understand him, bro, to this day, him and I, you know, he, he's one of my better friends in the wrestling business to this day. Yeah, bro, I work with Nick and Doug a lot, and I I loved working with both those guys, bro. I can't say enough good things about those guys. That's amazing. I love it. So I'm pretty yeah. I'm pretty British biased, basically, as you can tell. It's just good to get yeah. Get to oh no, them. bro, I loved. I mean, like I said, man, I would. Uh, God, great, 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 just great, prof just professionals, bro. Just really, real. I mean, man, I don't think there's any wrestler out there right now who takes more pride in what they do than Nick Aldis. I, I really don't, bro. You're talking about a guy that every single thing he does, he takes absolute pride in, man. He's both, both of those guys I can't say enough about. 
That's cool. Well, well Doug's and bro, I'll even tell you the one time I did go to the UK, I got to go there twice after I left the WWE. I got to go there a couple of times and bro, like the first time I went there and I'm going back about shoot, I'm going back about seven years now. Cause I remember like I just first started the podcast and stuff, bro. That was the first time I ever saw Will Ospreay. Um, and, and this is like seven years ago. So it was before he really started establishing a name for himself in the States. But I remember seeing him there for the first time. And I was absolutely blown away um, by Will Ospreay when I first saw him work the first time there. I, I loved a lot of those guys, bro. I mean, I, I really enjoyed um, the, the wrestling shows and the fans when I got to work over there in the UK. I really did. Bro, if I, if I didn't hate to travel i would go there all the time because it was it was really really a great experience for me okay we'll we'll, we'll start it we'll get the motivation going we'll kidnap you and bring you over for a weekend at some point and yeah no I, bro, he, 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 this is what i say I, i've been to the uk twice and this is what i've said bro when i'm there i freaking love it i love everything about it I, bro i swear to god when i was there I literally, I, I, I got a, like a lot of tattoos and shit. I almost got a UK flag tattooed, but I ran out of time. That, that's how much I love the place. But I always say this, when I get there, I freaking love it. I love everything about it, but it's the getting there. <laughs> you know, it's that, it's the plane, like it's the getting there that I can't, I can't make it through, bro. Totally understand. Yeah, I feel the same way. I've only been to New York very briefly once, and yeah, it's the flights, isn't it? It's just yes, that's, waiting that's around. exactly it. Yeah, yes. no, <laughs> yeah. And you never know. Future technology, you never know. It might get something a bit better down, better, better down the yeah. line. Yeah. Um, I was set, I was set to go there a third time, bro, uh, to do a show for Nick Nick Aldis. I was going to do a show for him. Um, and unfortunately, like right about that time, um, my mother, you know, passed away and, 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 and I literally bro, I live in Colorado. So I had to fly from Colorado to New York and then from New York to the UK, I had flown from Colorado to the New York. When I got in New York, I called my dad and my mom wasn't doing too well. And I had a cancel from new york to yeah so but i almost went back there a third time you know what bro i'll, I'll probably wind up going back there again because i would i would love to go there with my wife you know what i mean because i love it i i loved everything about the uk man yeah that's cool sorry to hear that story obviously but um but yeah, yeah, very, yeah you know and i think you'd get quite a bit of freedom over here as well so you, yeah you'll get you'll yeah. get plenty of love i'm sure uh yeah. it'd be good to, good to have you back over here um what am i uh one of my favorite uh, ever sort of entertainment comedy sketches in in, in Raw's history was uh, the This Is Your Life Rock and Mankind uh, during the Rock and Sock stuff. And I, I wanted to bug your brain a little bit about what, how, what, was, what was I like to create and work on. Yeah, it was awesome, bro. And th th that's the thing, man. When you're working with talents of this magnitude, all you really need to do is like set it up. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, bro, we had to have the clown there and, you know, the, the, you know, we, you, you have to have the pieces for them to play with. So as you're writing out the scene and you're writing out that segment, you got, you got to set the table for them. So they have things to play with. 
once all that is set up, bro, you just let those guys go out and do their thing, man. And when you got two guys that great that can ad lib um, as well as they could, plus the chemistry they had together, you're just going to get an unbelievable se- uh, a segment like that. Bro, it wasn't like today where you are scripting every word. I'm, I'm not going to script anything for Mick and Rock. I'm going to say these are the ple- these are the pieces. This is how this is, you know, when that when we're going to send them out, you know, these are, you know, just some, you know, notes of what you need to hit and shit. But that's that's just them ad lib ad libbing and being in the moment, man. That's cool. I, I, I was always curious about how it all sort of worked for uh, in, in those days in terms of a, a talent obviously was being developed, you know, could, whoever it might be. At what stage does it come into your conversation and piece in terms of the storyline that we're bringing this person in? And we, you know, we're going to build this character, and and then you've got to think about the story, or or was there preconceived notions? With nah, something? bro, not at all. It would it would basically start with them telling me, you know, so and so is ready. Like, so if it was a new talent like a Val Venus or an Edge, so and so is ready. At that point, bro, I've got to sit down and I've got to really get into their head and really find out who they are and what makes them tick. And that's where the character is developed, bro. So it's just a matter of, you know, you had guys training um, and then when they were ready to go, you know, like Jim Ross would say, you know, Sean Wally's ready to go. And then at that point, you know, I've got to sit down with them and we've got to create the right character for that person. And then, you know, we bring him over to Raw. Okay, cool. And Jim Johnson obviously did a lot of the music in those days. Would would you then, would the character then as a brief come to you and you go to Jim or would it be you and Jim at the same time? Or how did that? No, it would be Jim. That, bro, Jim and I really never, ever, ever worked together. We, I would create this character. Jim would see this character and Jim would create magic. I mean, absolute magic. But bro, I, there was never one time where I sat down with Jim Johnson and never explained a character to him. Never. He would just see the character visually and, you know, go to work and I mean, God, bro, they, you know, they, he, he recently did a theme song for me. Um, the attitude era would not have been the same without his, his soundtrack, bro. Absolutely not. No way. No, absolute legend. And, and obviously like say yourself and, and Jim and everyone involved, that's the memories we've got. And, you know, yep. I know that you're not watching wrestling now, but it's great to, to talk about those memories yep. and moments and, and stuff like that as I grew up with. So um, as a huge appreciation for the work you did. Um, what was, what was it sort of it like in terms of those days and sort of a day to day? Because we, we kind of as fans looking at it thinking, we think, oh, it was all about the ratings and it's all about this. And then there's a meeting and then things change and, and so on. Were days when you're doing like a TV recording, was it quite hectic or is it just full on? How did it sort of unravel? Bro, that's the thing. When when me and Ed Ferrara were writing and there was a period when I was just writing by myself, bro, nothing changed. Like that, that show was done, uh, uh, I's dotted, T's crossed by Friday. And by Friday, you're sending it out to the key talent over the weekend. So they're getting the show. When you got there on Monday, bro, that's the show. Like every, by the time we got there on Monday, we knew the show inside out. No, it wasn't like today, nothing changed. So it, it, it was never, bro, it was not 
chaotic. I mean, everybody was always well prepared. Of course, bro, you're always going to have that element of live, you know, so anything can happen live. But bro, back then, the the level of preparation and everybody knowing what they were doing and understanding the story, bro, it was really, really a weld oil machine. That's why like, I left in 1999. And I almost went back in 2021. And I'll, I mean, 2002, 2002, I almost went back. And I'll never forget, bro, from 99 to 2002, the entire structure had changed. And I remember walking into the new structure and I'm like, what, what is this? You know, and Vince said to me, oh, Vince, you got to understand now we're a publicly owned company, this and that. I said, yeah, Vince, I understand all that, but this is not working. Like the way you have this set up, because back then, bro, they were going to, you know, the 20 writers and the, these guys do SmackDown and these guys. And I was like, this obviously is not working. And bro, over the last 20 years, that's gone from bad to worse. It used to be so simple, bro. Ed Ferrar and myself were the head writers. We worked directly with Vince. The two of us produced all the talent, everything you saw on TV, and that was it. They have made it so confusing and so convoluted over the years, and that's why you're seeing what you're seeing on Monday nights. Yeah, okay. Makes total sense. Um, How much fun was it, though? in those in, in sort of when you were building that attitude era and obviously didn't know it was going to be called the attitude era at the time until obviously it, you know it, it gets created when you started feeling that way in like 96 into 97 and then it grew and grew and grew how much fun i know it was just you know technically just a job but how much fun was it for you having so many people to work on and loads of different random stories to come up with yeah bro i hate to tell you this it was never fun <laughs> And, and I'll tell you why, bro. I'll be honest with you. It was never fun. Bro, we, we, were, we were doing so well that every week we had a top the previous week. Like this week's show had to be better than last week's show. And we had raised the bar so high that there was always such a a tremendous amount of pressure on us to make this week's show better. And bro, we were so focused on the shows and just making these the absolute best that they could be that it was like, like, I hate to say it, but like there wasn't time for fun. Now, don't get me wrong, bro. I loved working with all these characters. It was absolutely great and a blessing. And I learned so much. And I look back now and I was so lucky to work with these people, but man, it was like, it was never fun because it, we, it, we, we just had to keep up in our game and up in our game and up in our game. And a lot of pressure kind of went with that. Okay. Yeah. I understand. Um, David Arquette, the WCW days, you winning the title. What was that like? Well, bro, see that that's the thing again. That that that's what I mean to you. That's what I mean when I tell you about, you know, what what people make out of things. Bro, when you're writing two shows a week and a pay-per-view, 
Okay, so what is that? 52, 52, 104, 100 and, 116 shows a year. You're writing 116 shows a year. Bro, unless you open up new avenues where something happens that wasn't supposed to happen, unless you have new avenues you can go down, bro, you're just going to keep regurgitating the same thing over and over and over and over. And I think that's what's happening today. When a Hollywood actor wins a title on a fluke and like that wasn't supposed to happen, when Vince Russo like almost gets killed being driven through a cage and technically winning a belt, bro, what that does is that opens up other avenues. So you're writing a television show. You want to give them something different. Everything you watch now, bro, everything you watch on Raw and AEW, it's about two guys fighting each other. That's all it's about, bro. Two guys wrestling each other. Bro, we wanted to create, you know, good television, exciting television, must-see TV, things you never saw before. So when you would create moments like that, bro, all of a sudden it opens up the creative envelope to write things that are out of the traditional wrestling. And, and, and I think we did that really well. Bro, people that don't understand television will never understand that. The success of the Attitude Era, bro, was that we got the masses to watch. You, you didn't have to be a wrestling fan to watch these shows. And it's because we did stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it was... It reached into every market, didn't it? You obviously you yep. had yep. so many different types of characters that were relevant to different age groups and demographics and backgrounds, yep. and everyone had their favorite. Obviously, everyone loved Austin and The Rock, and you know what, what DX and stuff. But you would you'd be excited about a certain character in almost every match, and that was why yep. you know it just huge influence and you know grabbed grabbed my attention, and I've never really grown out of it ever since. So at some point, I need to grow up. At some point, but not yet. <laughs> right. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's so good. Wanted... It's good not to grow up, bro. I, I I I still enjoy so many things I did when I was younger, bro. It's 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 okay to relive relive that stuff. I, I recently just started a show on um on New Network where I review the Batman sixty six shows. I'm still a huge fan of that, bro. And I still love going back and watching those shows. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's great, man, to remember the good times. Um, well, that's what another thing I was going to ask you about in terms of, you know, thing, things you like. Obviously, you got the big Rocky poster in the background there. I've noticed uh, noticed on the call. Um, if, if, uh, if, if you could have not done wrestling, I know it's a bit of almost fantasy booking for yourself here. Uh, if, you were, if you could have got into, say, script writing in terms of filmmaking and, and, and so on as a full-time role, because obviously the characters you come up with, are, are there any films you look at and think, Oh, I, I'd love to have been, I'd love to have been part of that or I could have done this story or. Yeah, bro. I definitely, that, that was my plan, bro. What happened was I went away to college and that was my plan, bro. My plan was to, you know, to put myself right smack in the middle of LA Hollywood and, hustle and make something happen. That's what I would have done. Unfortunately, bro, in college, I met my wife and I got married at 22 years old. So like I had, I had to change plans a little bit because it wasn't just me. Now it was me and her, you know what I mean? 
but that yeah bro without a shadow of a doubt that's that's what i would have done with, with, with without a question i would have been working on movies and and tv that 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 was certainly my passion that's why bro the wwe like it just happened it's not something i dreamed about or was working towards it just kind of organically happened because you know i mean it was supposed to happen and that's why it happened but uh, yeah, bro, if it were up to me, I would have been doing movies, TV, uh, absolutely. That's cool. Um, and in terms of uh, recently, you obviously did the Dark Side of the Ring uh, documentary. Um, have you ever thought about going into doing like your own, and obviously because you've got your own content with the podcast and all the rest of it, is that ever something you'd ever consider going down to talk about your career a bit more or other people's No, no, I hate talking about my career, but I'll tell you what I do want to do, bro. A pet project of mine that I always wanted to do and and, and I still hope to do it someday. Bro, I want to do a um I want to do a wrestling documentary about the wrestling marks because I am so mesmerized by these people. I've yet to figure them out. I don't understand them, but bro, you know how there's like documentaries about Trekkies and stuff like that, that I, I, I definitely want to do that. That is on the top of my list, doing a documentary, interviewing these dirt sheet writers, you know, interviewing these AEW fans and really, really trying to get in their head and understanding why they are so obsessed by something that is not real. I, I mean, bro, it blows my mind. Bro, if if you're a novice and you're not a fan, and you, you know, we do a show on Russo'sbrand.com every week called Castrating the Marks, and we hear clips from the dirt sheets. Bro, if you were not a wrestling fan and you listened to what we were listening to, you would believe that these people think this is real. You, you, you would believe that. And I think, bro, to a large extent, they have convinced themselves that wrestling is real. Somewhere along the lines, bro, they've convinced themselves of this. And that's why, bro, I would love, man, I would love to do some kind of a documentary where we just kind of get in the minds of the marks and like, why are you people so obsessed? Why, at what point did you start believing this were real? I, I definitely want to do that. Oh, that'd be exciting. It'd be really exciting to, because it'd be quite an interesting insight. Um, yeah. Looking at the theme of like why it matters so much to people and because yes, there'll be emotional exactly. connections. Like, yeah, bro. Like, I swear to God, like, there are a lot of things I enjoy in my life and I have enjoyed over my life. Bro, I've never been obsessive like that so like i really i can't understand it because i've never been obsessed with anything in my entire lifetime like some of these marks are so i can't understand it so i really do want to understand it bro so that's on my list of one thing i really want to accomplish yeah that's cool i hope you do it'll be good to good to see it it's all because it's almost like right now there's that feeling of that you support a team again like obviously when you were working in the late 90s it was that wfw almost like which which is your team that you're going on and obviously a lot of people were watching both and i think that's the same with now with aew and WWE. i watch it all um as much as i can and there are some people that are on a team or on this team yeah. and right. and that's what i find interesting it's like 
I'm a big soccer football fan and I've got my team, but it's like, so I, so I know who I like and I don't like, and I wouldn't change my team. But for, for wrestling fans, is that interesting? Are you a fan of a wrestler or, you know, or a team and the storyline? And, and, and bro, that's another thing that is just, I do not understand because if you're on team AEW, they do nothing wrong. Like they make no mistakes. They do nothing wrong. And I'm like, bro, every, every sports team I am a fan of, bro, when they're playing like crap, I will say they're playing like crap. I, I, I won't make excuses for them. I won't try to sugarcoat anything. I will say you guys are playing like crap. So like, that's another thing I don't understand. It's like, no matter what that company does, Oh my God! Every, every everything is five stars, and I I don't get it, bro. I just I don't understand it. I don't get it. No, no. Well, it's definitely got to be a documentary. You got to make part of the. Uh, it's got to be part of the brand. It needs to be done. It needs to be done. Yes. Um, yes. I was going to ask you a couple of questions about other wrestlers, just just out of interest, because I'm just curious. I've I've had the pleasure of uh, obviously you mentioned Doug Williams earlier. I've had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Doug and hopefully seeing him wrestle again soon because he's back wrestling in action. Um. Jeff Jarrett, I, I had the huge pleasure of interviewing a few years ago uh, about, about his work at the time. You've had a great connection with him for years and years and years, including the match with him and so on. What was it like working with him in the different companies over the years? Well, bro, the one thing about Jeff, like people don't understand this, man. It's like, you know, they, they I always get criticized for, you know, when I went over to WCW and putting the title on Jeff and this and that, but see, here, here's what people don't understand, bro. There was a reason for that. And the reason was twofold. Number one, Jeff was a great worker and a great heel. And Jeff could get people over because he was a great worker and a great heel. Bro, also the thing about Jeff was, Bro, no matter how many times he worked and how hard he worked, bro, he never got hurt. So you knew you could depend on Jeff. Like if I put that belt on Jeff, I knew A, he's going to be a great heel. B, he's going to get the baby faces over. And C, I can count on him because he never got hurt. Uh, he was probably, bro, the most dependable, doral, uh, adorable wrestler. Bro, I, I remember, I worked with Jeff many years, and I remember him getting hurt one single time. And that one time he got hurt, bro, was because Snooker did the dive off the top of the cage on Jeff and, and concussed Jeff. Bro, that was the only time in all the years I worked with him. And I worked with him from like 94 to 2012, almost 20 years. That was the only time Jeff Jarrett was ever hurt. That's crazy. I, I was yeah. a proper, I'm, as I say, you can almost call me Marky Mart uh, for the fact I was a big Jarrett fan uh, when, yeah. when, he, when he took him over. He was the hottest heel. In, uh, yeah. Oh, in yeah. So, bro, bro, when you've got a second generation wrestler like that, all of them, bro. It's it's in their bloodline. Like they grew up on it. They just know what to do, man. Uh, you know that's why, like you know, the early booking of Roman Reigns when Vince was writing every word from. I was sitting there saying, bro, this guy, this kid grew up in the business. It's 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 in his blood. Just let him go. Don't you don't need to write every. Let him go. 
and it took years and years and years till finally. But, bro, when you get those second-generation wrestlers, they know what they're doing, bro. They, they, they know what they're doing, and Jeff was one of those guys. I've still got my Slap Nuts T-shirt, and I've still got go. my Jeff Jarrett WCW action figure. There you go. I will get yes. outside at some point. Like I say, I will. I will. I promise. There you go. Um, um, but yeah, I also was quite curious. Edge, uh, Edge always speaks very highly of you. I, I was at an event a few years ago, and he spoke very highly about you helping him uh, in the early parts of his career in terms of you know storylines and, and going on. I wondered what you thought about any stories, what it was like when you first worked with him and what you noticed about him and did, could you sense that he was going to be as good as he is? Yeah, bro, but to, to a different extent because, bro, the original plan for Edge, and, and there, I, think, I think Edge may get a little confused about this because this was going to evolve. But the original plan of, of Edge, bro, if you remember at the very beginning, the, the, we had a woman do the voiceovers and stuff like that. Bro, at the beginning, the concept of Edge was he was never going to talk. And it was almost like we didn't even know if he could talk. Was he going to be, uh, was he a mute? You know, like the movie Tommy. You remember, you know, Tommy, bro, you know, the, the, the deaf, dumb, and blind kid, but then he talks at the end of that was going to kind of be the character of Edge, and it was really to keep him mysterious. Like, be very, if you look at those early vignettes, he was very, very mysterious. And then, bro, over the years, obviously, you know, we would have, um, you know, we, we would have progressed that storyline. But that's how we originally, or that's how I originally wrote the, the first inception of the character, coming out of the gate and then you know then bro you had that then you had the brood with those three guys coming together and it being so cool and then obviously he went on as a singles guy after I left to a great 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 career but no bro I I knew that guy when I first worked with him when I first met him bro I knew the guy was super super talented man that's cool uh, did anyone surprise you when uh, that got over in, in sort of the, the attitude era? Was any of the ones you thought that wouldn't go as well as it did? Or, uh, Bro, I, I got to be honest, and I always give a lot of credit to JR, okay, bro? Because JR put the roster together. Mm-hmm. Bro, if your name was on that roster, like JR did his homework. Like, so the tools were there. Like if you were on that roster, you earned your place in the roster. So now it was just my job to help get these guys over to the best of my ability. But I say that, bro, because then when I went to TNA, bro, 50% of the guys should not have been on the roster. And and I would tell Dixie, Dixie, these guys are never going to get over because I could only do so much, but they need to have that it factor you need the it factor if they don't have the it fact they're not going to get over like i would be able to know if a guy was going to get over or not bro i never worked with a jr roster where i would look at every name on that roster and say you know that person can never get they all had the it factor man jr knew the it factor he knew what to look for so he really made made my job very, very easy, bro. That's cool. Well, that's why it all worked so well, though, didn't it? Because everyone was in the right position. Yep. Absolutely, bro. And Johnson yes. and 
everything. Yep. And before yep. before the before social media and before mobile phones, so it was just that that intricate of secrecy still before everyone right. knew everything about it all. So, um, right. um, you, you don't have to answer this question, but I'm quite curious because you mentioned earlier about Doug maybe being in your, your five, you might, if you were going to build a roster, who your five would be. I was a little bit curious if I could push you on whether there's any other names I could have out of that five that if in theory you were going to build a roster. Well, bro, I remember be? it was very important to me, bro. Um, a couple of years ago, I remember having a, I remember having a, a conversation with him on the phone and bro, I broke down. I kind of broke down, you know, crying because it was very important for me to tell this person, like out of everybody I work with, he was the best I ever worked with. And, and it, and it meant a lot for me to tell this person that, and I don't know why I got so emotional about it, but, um, Bro, I to this day I work with great talents, but I, I I say to this day, Shawn Michaels was the greatest talent I work with. Be and I'm talking about bro, looking at every level of the job, every aspect of the job across the board. Shawn was the best, and bro, you got to understand, I worked with Shawn when you know, he was going through a tough time, you know, he had his demons. So bro, it was always a love and hate relationship between me and Sean, because I worked very, very closely with him. And bro, quite honestly, there were days I did not know what Sean Michaels was going to show up. But when, when it comes to bro, looking at every aspect of being a professional wrestler, he was, he was the best. I mean, he was absolutely the best. And I mean, I told him that, and it was important for me that I tell him that I told him that because I, I wanted him to really know, because, you know, bro, you know, I worked with Austin and rock and taker. And I mean, I worked with all, I worked flair and Hogan and all of the greats, but he was bro, he was the best. I mean, I'll say to this day, he was the absolute best. That's amazing. He was the guy that got me massively hooked. That, that yeah, whole, I, I, yeah, you know, that whole night. I mean, bro, you got to look at everything. You got to look at presentation. You got to look at the Jim Johnson music. You got to look at the costumes. You got to look at the wardrobe. I mean, I'm talking about every aspect of the game. I think he was the, 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 the best. I do, bro. I, I, I think to me, he was the best. Yeah. Well, you can tell the influence. We have a program over here. I don't know if you have a similar one in America called Take Me Out. And it was uh, where a guy, a, a random mystery guy would come down and lift and there'd be like 20 or 30 women and they could turn their light off if they liked the guy or not. And there'd be different rounds. One guy came out to the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels music. So all the picking like rock bands or like a pop song or whatever. But a guy came out to Shawn Michaels and I, I was just like, that's brilliant. Done, done. Yeah. And none of the girls knew who it was, but he came yeah. down with a pose and everything. I was like, yeah, fair play, mate. Well, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Um, well, I, I've got to obviously, you know, time-wise uh, uh, wrap it up, but I, I just quite uh, one last question about your career and then we'll do, uh, we'll, we'll make sure we'll let everyone know how to follow the work and, and, and get in touch. Um, do you ever, do you ever, like if you were, say you were being interviewed for a, for a uh, writing a film script or something like that. And someone said to you like, okay, what, what's your highlights? What's your, what's what two or three storylines that if you're asking me to look at and think, oh, okay, that's a, that's the mark of what you're really happy with. Is there anything you ever think, oh, I'm really proud of that? Or, or is it difficult for you to, to, to... Nah, bro, to me, the best, 
the best storyline written in the history of the business. And, and there, it, 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 you'll never see storylines like this again. Um, bro, here's the reason why you'll never see storylines like this again. Ed Ferrara and myself were writers. We were writers. We were, you know, I mean, bro, I wasn't Tony Khan, you know, booking wrestling shows when I was six. You know, we we were writers. We weren't former wrestlers booking matches. You know, we were writers. That's what we did. Ed wrote television shows. Ed wrote movies. We were writers. And that's why, to me, bro, the story, if you back it up for three months, the story of Rock joining the corporation, you'll never, ever, ever get a story like that again. Because if you go back and watch three months prior, there were so many little hints and innuendos and nuances that led to that, that people did not see coming a mile away. And bro, it's funny because I'll never forget this. I was in the building that night. And bro, when when Rock made that turn, I swear to you, bro, there were 20-something thousand people in that arena. You could hear a pin drop because people could not believe it. I mean, dead silence. And then, bro, if you backed it up, it's almost like Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense where you get the finish and then they bring you through the whole movie. It's, holy shit, it, it was that same thing. If you back it up, bro, like to me, one, one, of, one of my favorite stories was we were, we, we, were, we were writing the last draw before Rock's turn. Okay, so we really, really needed to do something to throw people off track, right? So, bro, we came up with the spot that Rock gives Vince the people's elbow. Okay, now, bro, the funny thing is, it's just me and Ed writing the script. Bro, the people's elbow had been built up like it, it, it was the equivalent of taking a shotgun and putting it to somebody's head. Like the, the people's elbow would kill you. That's the way it was. Pull- so I remember me and Ed like, okay, bro, you know, Vince, you know, Rock's going to give Vince a people's elbow. And I remember saying, this, saying, Ed, oh, Ed, the people's elbow, bro, are you sure? I mean, they're working together. They're on the same team. And bro, I'll never forget. Ed looked at me and said, Vince, it's an elbow. <laughs> and, and, but that, you, you know what I'm saying, bro? He had built that so up that, oh my God, bro, there's no way they could be working together if Rock gives them the people's elbow. But bro, at the end of the day, it was an elbow. He was he was hitting Vince McMahon with an elbow. He wasn't killing him. He was dropping an elbow. So yeah, bro. I, I, you're never, bro. You will never, ever get anything like that with 20 writers. You know, writing, rewriting the script. You know, at the last minute, you'll never, ever, ever get anything like that again, bro. That was so well played out. And uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, bro, I have no problem saying like I think that was an absolute masterpiece the way we put that thing together.
that's cool. I was always curious. That's all to, to find out what you uh, what you what you think about your career because it's amazing. And I say the storylines, everything were great. Um, I will put obviously when I put this on YouTube, I'll put all the links below for direct to build to uh, your social media and to the the website. Um, is there anything in particular you wanted to flag up about it? Anything that's uh, how people join? Yeah, I just want to say I'll tell you right now, like the the wrestling aspect of it, which is when are you going to be releasing this? Uh, it'll probably be in the next. Uh, I'm going to edit it next week with a couple of others. So I'll probably in about a week and a half or two weeks time. Okay. Yeah. But by, by, by then, by then you should be able to go to Russo'sbrand.com. We have a whole menu of, of shows on that Russo'sbrand.com. Then on Patreon, we have a whole menu of different shows and that's patreon.com forward slash Russo T W C and then we're going to have, like I said, that brand new network. Um, I, I don't want to give the name out yet, but by the time this comes out, you'll be able to see, and you'll be able to find everything through Russo'sBrand.com. Thank you for watching, everyone. This is Wrestling Wednesdays, and this is the bro himself, the former heavyweight WWE champion, Vince Russo. Thank you very much for your time, Vince. Thank you, Martin. I really appreciate it, man. Yo, this is Vince Russo, bro, and I want you to catch Wrestling Wednesdays with the great Martin Watchhorn. Don't miss it, bro.